Hi everybody, I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to a special edition of RegWatch with coverage of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, Good Cop, Bad Cop, the counter-conference to COP10, the World Health Organization's Conference of the Parties to the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, happening this week in Panama City, Panama. Many critics often accuse the World Health Organization of maintaining obsessive and paranoid secrecy regarding its Conference of the Parties, and this year, COP10 has proved to be no exception. Joining us today live from Panama at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance Good Cop, Bad Cop Counter Conference is David Williams, President at TPA, and Martin Cullop, TPA International Fellow and longtime friend of the show. Gentlemen, it's great to see you both. See you. Great to be here, friend. Just turning off uh, the Twitter feed here. I don't, not too sure if that audio bled through, but just had to turn that off. Yeah. So, gentlemen, Panama, tell us, you know, what's been going on. Boy, what a uh, crazy start to the uh, conference, right? As we're expecting this live stream of the, the World Health Organization to start at 10 a.m. local time. Nothing. 10.30, nothing, 11 o'clock, nothing. And there was no live stream. And this was very troublesome because we're concerned about the transparency of the World Health Organization. And for a taxpayer group, the United States is sending $400 million a year to the World Health Organization. They can afford a live stream. They can afford to live stream a conference like this, like a critical conference like this. And really, that's why we're here, is that we knew that some sort of shenanigans were going to happen. And this is really just this is day one. And we've already seen this happen. So it really just, you know, validifies everything why we're here. Right. I mean, this is why we're here to call them out and to, and to fact check and to make sure that they are transparent. Now, Martin, uh, why don't you fill us in a little bit exactly what is the relevance of COP10? I mentioned that they're, you know, they're secrecy. Is that true or are they a real secret organization? Well, some of the things we've been talking about today is how consumers used to be able to turn up and, and sit in the public gallery. Um, but they used to get thrown out and we said this was non-transparent, you know, a bit opaque and hiding behind closed doors for their decision making. But they've actually got worse this year. Uh, they made consumers um, apply six, uh, 60 days in advance uh, and then uh, you had to fill in all sorts of forms. You had to show a letter of intent. You had to show you, give your passport details. And uh, I think it was five years um, of a resume kind of thing. And it didn't really matter because all the consumers who applied got the same uh, letter rejected in their, their, um, their ability to go in. Uh, and people who went round the convention centre last night had a look and they had queues of people queuing up to get their registration for the COP conference. And there was a sign up saying you can't come in as a member of the public unless you've been pre-authorized by uh, FCTC, which of course was no one. So, um, so we had some of those those people here, and uh, Thomas O'Gorman from Mexico was explaining the process how he went through that. So we've actually had a situation where um, the COP process has become even more difficult for consumers to access than it was before, and it was always always pretty dire before that. Now, COP10 brings together tobacco control representatives from over 190 countries that have signed the international treaty. What is that treaty? Well, the treaty is an international treaty. It's, um, it's the first 
uh, treaty that WHO has ever done. Uh, and it's been going for 20 years, um, just last year, it had its 20th anniversary. And what's quite striking about it is that when it was first ratified and, and put into force, uh, there were 1.1 billion smokers in the world. And now the latest results um, a, a couple of months ago came out and there are now 1.25 billion smokers in the world. So yeah, you could put some of that down to increase in, uh, in populations, but it still shows that there's really not much change and it hasn't had much effect uh, on, on smoking rates at all. And now what we're seeing, and we've seen for a number of years with the WHO now, is, is total stubbornness and reluctance or resistance, full-on full resistance to tobacco harm reduction products. So much so that they're, they're trying at this conference to try and ban all sorts of um, different uh, different aspects of products. They want to redefine smoke. Um, they want to basically just treat all of these products exactly the same as combustible cigarettes. So although they seem to be totally opposed to big tobacco or, you know, tobacco industry, their actions are actually protecting the cigarette trade, which is, you know, I, I don't see why they can't notice this themselves, I have to say. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, to put a fine point on some of the things that they're considering here at COP10, which could be obviously very damaging. And we've talked about them on RegWatch episodes before, including with you, and that is the the need or desire to redefine smoke, so cigarette smoke, to be vapor. And so, poof, if they're able to make such a redesignation, then then all of the laws against anti-smoking laws could apply completely to nicotine vaping. I find that incorrigible. Yeah, it's, it's entirely a political thing. It's, it's a political thing they're trying to do. They're trying to con everyone and go against the rules of physics that say that these products are, they emit smoke. Uh, but we had Roberto Sussman, who's a, a scientist, an astrophysicist on um, uh, on one of our panels today. He was saying this is impossible. If you have that, that daft um, definition of smoke, then he said you haven't got a smoke-free kitchen in the world because the moment you cook something and it gets less off steam or any sort of uh, uh, visible vapor, then you're, you're in a smoke-filled kitchen so it's, it's completely ridiculous and it is designed exactly like you say Brent to try and say that all of these products are uh, tobacco products because they emit smoke and therefore they can be all treated the same uh, they it's just a, a twisting of, of science and language really feels very Soviet to me <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's take a quick moment I've got a prepared clip here from an interview that David and I did last week, and we're gonna do that over the next couple of days. We're gonna be broadcasting live at four o'clock every day all this week. And so hopefully by the end of this, we'll, you know, we'll have uh, these tobacco controllers number if that's possible, but let's just have a quick listen at this clip. TPA is a rapid response taxpayer group. And what that means is things happen fast in Washington, D.C., where we're based. So there are times where we need to get a letter to Capitol Hill on a particular piece of legislation, and that may be needed within the hour. So it's making sure that we get our voice heard, get the taxpayers and consumers' voices heard on Capitol Hill. It's reaching out to the media on a, a rapid response basis with press releases. And really, that is our brand. 
is making sure that we are to do that. And we have a group of people that are amazing writers and deep thinkers. And we combine the two because we need to write things quickly at times. But then there are other times where we have some time where we can write reports in longer form. But really, it's making sure that our voice is heard, that the consumer's voice is heard, the taxpayer voice is heard in a timely manner. And whenever Congress needs it or the media needs it or really citizens need to hear it. Now, is it about applying pressure? The, the goal of TPA is really to apply pressure on Congress, on the White House, but also international governments, because we have seen the growth in the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the European Union, European Commission, and we have seen really bad policy coming out of these international uh, organizations. And what we're trying to do is get people activated and to contact their member of Congress, the member of parliament, uh, to really voice their voice and to have their concerns uh, heard by the proper people. And that's what we want to be, is we want to be a catalyst for that. We want to help people do that because we know people are working eight to five, nine to six, whatever their job is, and they don't have time to really go through a lot of the information that's coming out of government. And what we want to do is take that information, distill it in a way that's easy for people to understand, but also easy for people to contact their elected or non-elected official. So you mentioned global organizations. Obviously, the World Health Organization is probably the most prominent. How do you assess how the WHO has been handling issues around tobacco, uh, about nicotine and, say, vaping? Well, first and foremost, the World Health Organization is a taxpayer-funded organization. So all the policies that are coming out of this group of the WHO are funded by taxpayers. And that's why taxpayers' voices need to be heard. And when you look at the ridiculous science that's coming out of the World Health Organization, it's appalling. And it's really counteractive and counterintuitive at times. And what we want to do is we want to bring science back into the World Health Organization. And tobacco harm reduction is a great place to start because these products, whether it's vaping, e-cigarettes, heat not burn, snooze, you name it, there are these innovative products that are coming out that are helping people quit smoking. And that should be the goal of the World Health Organization is to help people quit smoking. These products are working around the world. You look at Japan and other countries that have heat not burn and that are embracing e-cigarettes and vaping, heart disease is plummeting because these products work. The World Health Organization doesn't recognize this. They spend billions of dollars a year uh, to send people around the world for conferences and other travel, and they're not getting it. They don't talk to the right people when it comes to uh, a lot of scientific issues, but in particular, tobacco harm reduction and helping people. And uh, so there you go, David. Well said. Yeah, and it is about the science, right? We know about political science. Well, it shouldn't be political science. It should be real science. And there have been studies that have been done on these products for, for years now. You know, companies have spent billions of dollars to do, to look at the science, and it's irrefutable that these products are saving lives. And that's what we're trying to say is that if you're funding an organization like the World Health Organization, use the best science. And I remember it was, I guess about four years ago, when the World Health Organization said that COVID couldn't be transmitted, uh, it wasn't an airborne transmission. It was a famous tweet that they put out in late February or early March of 2020, and we know that they were wrong. 
And this was they were being manipulated by the Chinese uh, to put out that tweet and to take this position. And they're doing the same thing with vaping, with tobacco harm reduction, is that they're politicizing the science. It's not political science, it's real science. And that's what we're, and we're trying to get people to understand that because smoking is a serious problem. And everyone at the conference is trying to get people to stop smoking and to embrace tobacco harm reduction because it's going to lengthen their lives. And guess what? It's going to save taxpayer money because of these health systems. You're going to have people that are going to uh, have a healthier lifestyle and they're not, not going to need taxpayer money at the end of their lives, whether in the United States, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid. So there's where more savings come from. Now, we mentioned and we've talked about this, and you certainly have here too as well, is that this is taxpayer funded. Let's talk for a moment about the actual delegates. Now, they're representing countries, um, but are they elected? And the answer is no. This whole thing is being handled by unelected bureaucrats. Yeah, therein lies the problem is that they're unelected, but also try to get information from the World Health Organization. In the United States, we have Freedom of Information Act laws, so we can try to get information. To try to get information out of the World Health Organization is impossible, and we have tried. We have tried to find out their travel budgets, and luckily through some investigative reporting, we're able to find that out. But if we try to find the cost of this delegation coming to Panama City, we are not going to be able to access that information. I mean, Brent, come on. They wouldn't even put on a live stream uh, this morning for people to watch. They are not going to release this information. And therein lies another problem with this meeting is we're never going to know really how much it's going to cost. Now, Martin, I, I assume the media is not allowed into these sessions, are they? Uh, well, you, yeah, the media is allowed in, but you have to be a... Um totally on board with everything the WHO wants. You know, if, if, there's, if, they, if they look at you and if you even remotely question what they're doing, you're not going to get past. You know, if you've written a, a balanced article about harm reduction on the pros and cons, you're not going to get past. Uh, and even if you do get past, like I said, you, you'll get there to the, to the first lunchtime session uh, and then you'll be get kicked out. Um, and when we talk about this live stream, um, it's worth noting that they have now put out the live stream, but they put it out nearly six hours later. And they've said it's a live stream, but at the bottom there's a big little little box that says not live. So so it's recorded. Um, so I, why they've done that, we don't know. They had a lot of problems earlier where people were trying to access the conference and being thrown out. And notable was nine um, elected representatives of uh, senators, I think they were, from Brazil. Um, and they were refused access. They were refused access before. They would make a big fuss in, in the news in Brazil. Um, and now apparently the, amb the ambassador from Brazil was called on this. I mean, that doesn't reflect well on Panama, that the, the Brazilian uh, ambassadors had to be called to come and sort of have discussions with the WHO about why their elected representatives are not allowed into the discussion. So um, yeah, it's, it's the same old old chaos that we always expect at these COP conferences. Um, you know, I'll try and watch the live stream um, when I can. And it's going to be the same thing I explained this morning to delegates here, that it's going to be the same, you know, speeches from the WHO saying how great they are, talking about sinister actors trying to, you know, go against them. Because if you disagree with them, obviously you're, you're in league with, with Satan or something. And it's, it's all the same thing. But we, we were denied watching the statements from the countries which, which we were going to look at with interest and I'll look at with interest. Um, 
but yeah, again, it's the, it's the WHO doing one thing, not delivering. You know, they already didn't deliver one conference. Now they've delivered the, set the conference, but they haven't delivered the live stream. It's just the same old thing. And it's taking all that money that David was talking about, and they can't organize a, a, a conference properly and, uh, you know, um, transparently like they should be doing. So uh, speaking of that, actually, I've got a clip from Clive Bates, who we all know so well, uh, with some of his thoughts uh, about COP10. And uh, let's have a listen. Clive, the Conference of the Parties to the WHO Framework Convention on Tobacco Control was postponed in November and rescheduled for this coming February in Panama. What do you make of COP10? Well, it's a uh, it, it's a it's a ridiculous circus, basically. Um, it's a forum for um, you know minor officials, politicians to come along and do some grandstanding <coughs> to sound as if they are potent and powerful players. Uh, you know to uh, you know talk talk up. Uh, grandiose ideas for tobacco control, bans and prohibitions and everything. Uh, to have a collective hate of the industry, that's a very big theme at these things. And to talk about, you know, everything they're doing to thwart the industry, even though the industry is leading the charge on the reformation of the nicotine market in a re relatively positive way. That's still the thing that they go there for. Um WHO spoon feeds them with ridiculous briefings um, that it either does itself or gets done by compliant academics and activists, um, which basically tell you the kind of usual narrative that these products are harmful, addictive, afflict children. You should think about banning them. If you can't ban them, then treat them just like any other cigarette product. Uh, if you can't do that, then treat them like pharmaceutical aids or whatever. Always pressing for the most aversive extreme regulation that you can. Prohibitions where they can get away with it. Partial prohibitions where they can't. You know, it's, a, it's an absolute sick joke. No one is paying any attention to the effects of the measures that they're talking about. So WHO, you know, recommended and rewarded India for its prohibition of vapes and heated tobacco products in 2019, gave the then health minister a golden award or something, the you know the highest honor that WHO can bestow for that legislation, for the ban. <clears throat> Yet no one has evaluated it. No one has looked at the unintended consequences. No one has assessed the vaping market. No one's seen what it did to smoking, whether opportunities were missed or new problems created. They're not interested. They just want to do the grandstanding with big statements and big laws. They don't really want to solve the problem in any kind of meaningful way. And that's despicable. What a waste of a forum where they could be doing something useful. Well, there you go. You got to thank Clive to be able to put a fine point on these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, uh, he's, he's absolutely right on all he says. And I, I found it curious that just in the run up to this COP10, they've done what they do at every COP. They've they've tried to smear anyone who they think might be, do, you know, doing what we're doing, coming up with an alternative view. So they've had uh, webinars by corporate accountability, ones including the University of Bath, and they all come to the same thing. Look, these people are going to say this, and these people are going to say that. They're in league with with big tobacco. I mean, the, the whole thing is is. But what I find curious about this. This is the one one recently where they they called out the TPA and they said they, they said the TPA is a bad bad organisation because they accused us of not listening to the science and abusing the rights of consumers. Uh, they actually put this out on their webinar and I'm I'm thinking well yeah well, well that's that's about right yeah you're, you're telling journalists this I mean some of the journalists would be watching this and thinking well yeah that seems quite reasonable to me um, so I, I, I I'm glad that they're making our points for us on their conference calls but but the idea is to basically smear anyone who they think is going to make the wrong you know, the make wrong arguments or disagree with them in the run up to the call. and 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 Brent they also said the for the delegates not to engage. And with the good cop people, uh, so they were very, you know, specific about that because, God forbid, they hear a different point of view, right? God forbid they talk to someone that has a different point of view about vaping and actually knows the science. So I think it's interesting that, obviously, they know that we're here, you know, they know that we were supposed to be here in November, but we're here in February. And listen, we've gotten under their skin, we've gotten on their radar. That's the first step in this process. And this is not going to change today overnight, but this is a process. And quite frankly, this is why I brought everyone together because I want to start the process in earnest. These people have been doing amazing work for years now. And I want us to speak as one all voices you know i want all voices to be heard in this debate and i want the world health organization to know whoa <laughs> there's uh there's there's a lot of people out there that are uh, that are concerned and are passionate about this issue so this is uh just the beginning can i just add um this approach of the WHO shows that they're scared of debate, you know, telling delegates not to engage with us. They, they don't want to debate because they know if they had a, an honest debate, they'd lose it. And this is why the only thing they've got left is smearing people who disagree with them. They know they're doing the wrong thing. They know the science is against them, but they're just desperately clinging on by their fingertips to their policy proposals. And it, it's not going to last. It's, it's totally unsustainable. I've got a clip from that webinar that you both are talking about. I don't believe it's the TPA section, which I'm planning on pulling out. So what I wanted to do was set up like, well, why are they so maniacal um, about this issue? And one of them is because, you know, they're dragon slayers and the dragon is big tobacco and they can't get their heads around that there could be. Uh, people and companies that are, un you know, not connected to the tobacco industry that um, are pushing safer nicotine products. And even that even being said, the tobacco industry obviously are pushing forward in many ways that I find justifiable. And, you know, and it all comes down to uh, the, the Framework Convention on Tobacco Controls, Article 5.3. And in that, they have a guiding principle which states that there is a fundamental an irreconcilable conflict between the tobacco industry's interests and public health policy's interests. I mean, that's just, that's about as hard line as you can get. And so in setting and implementing their public health policies with respect to tobacco control, parties shall act to protect these policies from commercial and other vested interests of the tobacco industry in accordance with national law. 
meaning that you know anybody that even smells or whiffs or had a coffee with anything connected to that industry is a persona non grata. Let's take a listen uh, to this clip. I don't know who this person is. Martin, maybe you'll recognize who it is and, and can tell us after. So, of course, I, I looked up what are the sub-recommendations uh, 4.9 in Article 5.3 guidelines. And uh, let me just quickly read that out. Parties, so this is uh, sub-recommendation 4.9 in Article 5.3 guidelines. Parties should not nominate any person employed by the tobacco industry or any entity working to further its interest to serve on the delegations to meetings of the COP its subsidiary bodies or any other bodies established pursuant to the decision of the conference of the parties. So it's really very clear. I think that the, the portion about, as I mentioned in my presentation about, you know, uh, furthering the, the interest of the industry, uh, you know, or, or tobacco. Uh, I think this is where like the Department of Agriculture or the Tobacco Board, the examples that I gave of the Philippines and Malaysia really apply. So uh, it's very clear the COP has made a decision and uh, Toy, you're right to actually point out the word shall. It is not may, it is not should, it is shall. And that makes a big difference. So actually, um, you know, these uh, individuals should not be on the delegation. Um, I yeah. think on the part of civil society, we probably need to point that out. That is our responsibility. I think there's definitely uh, a step up in the uh, interference and pressure on the COP by the tobacco industry. I think it's uh, uh, better organized uh, now in terms of mobilizing its front groups. Its front groups have become far more aggressive now than they ever were before. Uh, and also the, all the research that has been funded uh, and also groups that have been funded by the Foundation for Smoke-Free World. Uh, previously, they only had two they funded two active, uh, two groups only to, you know, to influence the COP. One was in uh, uh, they influenced. They funded a group uh, in Pakistan to actually um, influence uh, Emro and and also the Latin American region. There were two, but I think now uh, they have consolidated that further. And KAC seems to be really uh, heading, uh, you know, the uh, the the attack uh, on on both the COP as well as the SWHO. So definitely, and I think uh, in terms of uh, booking out hotels you know, to, to conduct activities and all of that, I think, uh, would take place. At the same time, I think that uh, the groups, you know, the front groups have become bolder also because uh, previously, you know, it was uh, fewer uh, tobacco control pro or countries, parties that are strong in tobacco control. There were very few actually who uh, embraced e-cigarettes, e but now there are more of them. And I think this has empowered uh, the both the industry as well as the front groups to 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 do more. Uh, and while I have the floor, uh, I just wanted to say, like the UK, for example, they have a really really good guidance uh, on Article Five Point Three, but it doesn't cover e-cigarette front groups. You know, so I think that that's just uh, an an example of what has uh, um, strengthened uh, the the front groups. Well, that makes my blood boil. I don't know about you. 
I um I watched I watched two of those webinars um, and I watched it when that woman said that. Um, what that is about, to put it in context, uh, they've come out with this idea of having declarations from the from the delegations to say that they comply with Article 5.3. Now this is because for years they've been very irritated that delegations can bring whoever the government decides to put on their delegation. And sometimes that's people like in China's China's delegations particularly, it's people who, who work for the government but also have a hand in the tobacco industry. And this infuriates them. And um, when they mention the Philippines there, they're saying, you know, front groups and everything. They're furious with the Philippines because they disobeyed them two years ago. And they're, they're trying to say, oh, they're all front groups, they're all, they're all working for industry. And there you saw that bit at the end about the UK and saying, oh, the UK has got great guidance in Article 5.3, but it doesn't include uh, e-cigarette front groups. It's talking about the fact that the UK actually applies Article 5.3 as it is intended to be applied, which does not include vape manufacturers and the vape industry. It only includes the tobacco industry. So it just shows they they just they just don't like anyone who disagrees with them. And I just think it's very encouraging that, that they are they are just so scared by by our arguments that that's all they've got left is to try and stop anyone else who has a differing opinion uh, speak to them. And 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 Brent, let's let's unpack some of that for a bit because there's a lot of dribble there by that webinar. And let me just say that she is so focused and the world health organization is so focused on businesses and companies what about consumers what about people and i will tell you someone who's trying to quit smoking when they pick up a vape do you think they care if it's a multi-billion dollar company or it's a mom and pop vape shop they don't care they're looking for an off-ramp to cigarettes and for them to be so obsessed with front groups with companies with big corporate interests they're missing the point, man. And that's what really gets me frustrated is they, they miss the point of this whole movement. It's not about any of that. It's about people having options to quit smoking. That person that is sitting there uh, you know, smoking one cigarette after another, they want options and they don't care who they buy it from. They just want to make sure that they can have a better lifestyle. Can I add another thing as well about those webinars? The interesting thing I found was that they were both hosted uh, and put together by Bloomberg funded organizations. The people they invited to talk on there were all funded by Bloomberg. Um, every single one of them involved in those two webinars was funded by Michael Bloomberg, but that, that Bloomberg was not mentioned once. Now, are they afraid that they, do they know this is a conflict of interest and why do they not mention it? Surely, if it's above board, they should be proud of that funding and they should be mentioning it on a regular basis. But they have said nothing about it in two hours of those webinars, both of them were an hour. They didn't mention Bloomberg once. Government money, uh, nonprofit activist, you know, groups, they don't count because they're righteous. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> All right, gentlemen, so we're going to um, move into uh, bringing in another interview subject. Um, your mics might stay hot here. I'm actually going to just do a quick uh, thanks to our RegWatch sponsors. So, but bring in who you want there. Okay. So I think we have Chris Snowden on next. Yeah, that's right. We do. Okay. And then we'll bring you back right after that. So I'd like to just take a uh, moment here to thank one of our very important sponsors, and that's Demand Vape. Is that they are the largest distributor of nicotine vaping products in the United States and a longtime supporter of vaping advocacy. And simply without demand vape support, RegWatch would not happen. So thanks to John Glauser and the team at Demand Vape. And as well, too, I'd like to actually talk for a moment about the Global Forum on Nicotine 
and they are not a front group in my opinion, that is for certain. Now our viewers probably do know that we produce and release every two weeks an episode of RegWatch, RegWatch on GFN, it's called GFN Interviews. And so, and that's with the Global Forum on Nicotine. Just trying to get that up there. There we go. Whoa. Switching my own show. Don't try it. And the Global Forum on Nicotine has got its annual conference on safer nicotine products and tobacco harm reduction. And it's in Warsaw, Poland. And again, it's happening this year from June 13 to 15. And you can find tickets at gfn.events. And now joining me is Chris Snowden. How's it going, Chris? Hi, Brent. Pretty good to see you again. So, man, I think I got like a whole hour to listen to you about what's going on with COP. But now that you're down there, what do you think so far? Uh, well, we haven't found very much out, but we didn't really expect to. I was at the COP in Geneva, was it six years ago? We didn't find out very much then either. Um, I mean, I just hope that not very much happens. That's been the story of the last few years. But I'm a, I fear that this is um, the year that the WHO is really going to try and make up for lost time and really instigate a global crackdown on vaping. Yeah, what do you what do you think could happen here? Um, I just think a much stronger line from the WHO, um, just explicitly saying that, I don't know, that these things are as bad as cigarettes, that they should definitely be banned um, in, in every case. And that is their, their only recommendation, really. I mean, just continue with the general misinformation and uh, and scare stories but you know it's all about vaping now this is the thing you remember this is a tobacco conference nothing about vaping in the original treaty i mean the vaping hadn't been invented but there's no suggestion um that if something like this came along they would go after it on the contrary harm reduction is explicitly mentioned in the treaty has been a good thing let me ask you to kind of put this in context for us a little bit because we just had, you know, some very disastrous news in the UK with regard to the disposables ban. What's your reaction to that? Well, uh, you have to look at this in the in the political context of the United Kingdom. Um, so firstly, there is uh, has been for a couple of years a, a bit of a panic about disposable vapes. It's not totally unfounded. Um, there are uh, there is a significant minority of uh, miners who are using e-cigarettes and particularly disposable e-cigarettes. So that, that doesn't really seem to be any question that the rise in youth vaping has been directly linked to um, disposables. Um, but this is a problem of law enforcement, overwhelmingly. Um, a lot of these vapes themselves are illegal and they are being illegally sold to miners, which is illegal in Britain has been since 2015. Um, there's been very little effort by the authorities to actually enforce this law. And as a result, unscrupulous retailers feel that they certainly, you know, put it this way, they wouldn't do it if it was vodka, they wouldn't do it if it was tobacco. Okay, it's the same law, right? You've got to be 18 to buy all these things, but uh, they seem to turn a blind eye to the disposable vapes. They're getting a lot, as I say, the, these vapes are often illegal, so they get those for a pound less than perhaps they get from a, a legitimate retailer. And if anybody wants to buy them, they don't mind knocking them out uh, you know, in the corner shops. So you, you have a, a legitimate problem there, um, which, I, as I say, I think could be solved by putting a bit more money into law enforcement. You've also got the issue that the Prime Minister is very unpopular. He's leading a party 
that is almost certainly going to lose the next election, very probably by a landslide. So he's got less than a year in office. And frankly, I think he's just living his best life and doing the things he, he, he wants to do. Uh, if you look at Rishi Sunak's policies, a remarkable number of them do intersect with the interests of him and his family. So for example, he's very keen on chess. So he decided to put a huge amount of money into grassroots chess. He's very keen indeed on maths. Um, so he wants to force everybody up to the age of 18 to learn advanced mathematics. He, um, he's got two young daughters. I think they're about 11 and 13. So he brings in uh, a law saying that no one under the age of 15 now will ever be allowed to buy tobacco. And of course, it's yeah, kids of that age who might be tempted by disposable vapes, so he's banning those as well. So, I mean, I think often when you look at these things, it's because there's been a big campaign against them, you know, and the, the, the state-funded um, front groups, to, to use a phrase that's already been used on the show today, will be push, pushing for these kind of campaigns. The reality is in this area, actually groups like Action on Smoke and Health, they were against the ban. They could see the unintended consequences. A lot of public health academics in the UK could, could warned of the unintended consequences. 87% of the vape market in Britain is disposables. Incredible statistics. So, you know, what are these people going to do? They're going to either go to smoking, they're going to maybe you know get a refillable adults might switch to refillables cool that a lot of them probably will but if the kids are already being sold disposables what's to stop them being sold refillables you're not solving the problem unless you address the enforcement of the law so yeah there wasn't actually a big campaign for the disposable ban i just think rishi sunak wanted to do it because he thought it would be popular and indeed about 70 percent of the population are in favor of banning disposables and i'm a democrat brent you know i respect the wisdom of the common man but if you look at other polls in Britain, you'll see that only about 24% in the late, latest poll I saw, only 24% of the public understand in Britain that vapes are significantly less hazardous than smoking. And in fact, a majority think that they're either more hazardous or as hazardous as smoking. Now, I'm quite libertarian, but if I thought disposable vapes were more dangerous than smoking, either I might, even I might be tempted to support a ban. So I'm, I don't think we can do this um, purely on the basis that a large section of a horribly misinformed public are in favor of doing something they haven't really thought through the consequences of. Now, what does this say then about the UK's long-term, long-time known commitment to a more enlightened policy on safer nicotine products? Doesn't this undermine that to a large extent? Yes, massively. We, we're going to go from being possibly the best country in the world in terms of our general attitude and regulation of e-cigarettes to certainly not being the worst. I mean, there's a lot worse countries than, than what the UK is going to be. I'm in Panama right now, where it's illegal to bring an e-cigarette in or um, or, uh, or sell them in any in any form. And Australia, various other countries are similar. But it's going to be pretty bad because we're not only banning the disposables, we're not only having this gradual um, sliding scale prohibition of tobacco, which nobody, even New Zealand, which came up with the idea, nobody's going to head with that. There's also talk in the um, in the consultation response, because there was a public consultation to this, of some form of plainer packaging or plain packaging for e-cigarettes, some form of retail display ban um, for e-cigarettes, and perhaps worst of all, flavor bans. And we know from evidence in the USA and elsewhere that flavor bans are really bad news and will definitely push people back to smoking. So we still don't know uh, the detail of this and the devil will be in it, but um, 
just what we, we do know, there doesn't seem to be any doubt that he's going to go ahead with this sliding scale of prohibition, which is going to include things like heated tobacco, as well as cigarette papers, bizarrely. Um, and he's definitely going to go ahead, I think, with the di disposable ban. And it sets a bad, it did, it's just set a bad example to the world, because I know a lot of advocates in the rest of the world do point to the UK and point to Public Health England and, um, and other public health um, experts who have been positive about vaping in terms of harm reduction. Uh, and I don't think we are going to be uh, a model to um, to look up to anymore. And I do worry, and it could well be a coincidence, but I do worry that this was all announced the week before COP, because presumably some people in, in inside the building not too far away from me right now, over the course of this week, are going to be saying, look, even the UK, even yeah. the UK is now taking a more prohibitionist line on this. Yeah, you can't imagine that this news coming out of the UK doesn't embolden uh, the bureaucrats in Panama this week. I, th I think it's very unlikely it won't come up. Um, and I don't know whether it was coincidence it was announced. The government is in a big rush to get this stuff through, to be fair. So it's possible it'd be a coincidence. But I, d I think people in the, the UK Department of Health, which is a nest of fanatics, um, I'd be surprised if there's people there who, who didn't realize, hang on, we got we're, some of our people are going to Panama next week. This is something we can boast about. Hmm. Well, Chris, uh, it was great. I mean, you, there's so much more I know that we could talk about. Do you have anything do you think you might want to add here? No, I just hope we find something out this week. Um, and as I say, I hope it. I hope the, the the fact that they can't even get a simple speech live streamed is a sign of such incompetence that uh, although they might be itching to do and agree lots of things, they uh, they fall apart and I don't know. Maybe they they lose the keys to the building tomorrow or something. All right, right. Well, look, thanks very much for popping on, um, everybody that's viewing. I'm just going to hit my be right back uh, effect, and we're going to load up one more interview. Just hang tight. Thanks, Chris. Now back with uh, our next guest and uh, those uh, viewers of our RegWatch on GFN should be familiar with. This is Kurt Yale. How's it going? How's it, Brent? How very are you? Good. Very good, thank you. Best you can be when you're covering a slow-moving disaster as this is. You're the co-founder of VSML. What is that again? So Vaping Saved My Life is a consumer movement that uh, I co-founded in 2017. And you're from South Africa. That's correct, yes. I'm from South Africa, yeah. So what do you think so far here on the first day of COP? I think you, you know, I think Chris and and uh, and uh, David and and Martin have clearly indicated it's, it is a slow disaster. Um, it is like watching the iceberg approaching the Titanic. Um, and no one seems to be doing anything about it. So it is, 
yeah, it's it's quite quite funny actually, considering the amount of money and preparation that should have gone into this. Whereas um, Chris quite clearly indicated that they couldn't even implement a, a live stream on time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, my thoughts on that were are that they just didn't want to send it out live. You know, they wanted to control the release on that a little bit more. I mean, it still was a tiny little box at the bottom of that page. And it's, you're, uh, well, they're, they definitely got a feeling about them, one of total control. And I guess that's why it's tobacco control. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, fill me in a little bit. It's been about 18 months since we last talked. How has it been going in South Africa? Did some of those more restrictive laws get put into place? Absolutely not. We're still in the public participation process uh, of, of this bill. And we've still got, unfortunately, I'll be missing uh, at least two of those hearings at different provinces. But um, we still have three provinces to consult. Um, and then it should go into some kind of deliberation with the Health Portfolio Committee. And then um, recommendations from that comes. So we've quite far away with regards to having the bill passed. Um, and what's, I think, complicating the situation is that we're now having a national election, which should be between anyway May and August of this year, which could see a change in that committee, given the fact that uh, the ruling party is under pressure and might not uh, get a, a majority as they currently are, um, currently have. So I think that there is a, an air of them trying to push it through. Um, however, just from a procedural point of view, the, the, the public participation has failed. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that it's being dragged out as long as it has. And I guess that's a good thing uh, as opposed to them implementing something quickly. Speaking of that, like from, from what you understand with what COP is proposing, the one that I'm always interested in is this redefining smoke as vapor. I just find it, I mean, I find it, I say Soviet, but it's a very communistic, very totalitarian kind of a technique. I mean, Orwell would fit perfectly in with Orwell. Um, what do you make of that as a particular issue, and do you think it's a big threat? Well, interestingly enough, it's currently found its way into this bill. You know, the, the bill was revised during the process from 2018, and that particular phrase is found in the bill of redefining smoke uh, as to anything that admits a, an, a, an emission or an aerosol in the South African bill. So this is clearly something that either the South African government had picked up um, and included in, the, in their bill. And I find it absolutely absurd. And as, a, as indicated, that uh, we're going to see smoke-free kitchens. We're going to see smoke-free saunas. Um, in fact, uh, we might have a smoke-free sky, um, given, given the, 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 the definition that they want to imply. And it is absolutely a perverse uh, take on science and how we generally categorize things. And it's dangerous. It is really dangerous. Now, how long are you down there? For the whole week? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Are you going to be able to do any protesting? Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Uh, 
I come from South Africa, so protesting has has a different take on it. So I don't think the Panamanian government would uh, appreciate South African protesting in their country. So, um, but if, if if the call is to just to, to rally and and raise our voices, I think it's something that we should consider. Well, that's great. Well, Kurt, thanks very much. I really do appreciate it. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, thank you, Brett. And I'd like to thank the, the, the team of TPA for giving uh, consumers a platform to voice voice their opinion and, and to and to you know indicate particularly to the delegates at the FCTC that there are voices and we shouldn't be considered as the orphans in this discussion. In fact, we should be the people that they should be going going to and having discussions. Because the reality is, is that there is a solution and consumers will choose that solution if given the correct and appropriate information. And if the true mission is to help people quit smoking and reduce the non-communicable diseases as related to smoking, then every option should be investigated, uh, explored and communicated pr- correctly and appropriately. Well, that's well said. And I really do like that uh, orphans. I mean, that's. That's a very good way of putting it. Kurt, thank you so very much. I'm going to jump to our uh, Be Right Back slate, and we should have Martin and David Williams back here to close off our live stream. Thanks again, Martin. You guys are fast in the chair uh, moving around. <laughs> Been working on my cardio. Uh, that's good. So let's just talk a little bit um, briefly about what happened today at the event. And then let's talk about what's going to happen tomorrow. And I've got the agenda here to put up. Yeah, so today was really the, the intro to the event is that we wanted to welcome all the attendees. Listen, people came from around the world. You just spoke to Kurt, who came from South Africa. We have a gentleman from New Zealand, really all over the globe. And we're just glad to have everyone together, uh, you know, here today and really the rest of the week. So we wanted to set the table and, you know, we talked about the live stream and we really planned our day around the live stream is that we had a quick uh, panel this morning at nine and then at 10 o'clock, we wanted to show the live stream live um, on the screen. Well, guess what? We all know that it didn't happen. So that was a little frustrating, but really kind of confirmed why we're here is that we knew that shenanigans were going to happen and they sure did early on in the day. And it was nice to have in the afternoon to introduce people to the different experts from around the world, uh, because I think a lot of people talk to each other, maybe on Twitter, uh, other social media, but to actually meet people in person, I thought was this was really good opportunity for people to actually shake someone's hand and see them in person. So that's really what kind of set up the the day for us. This is an excellent turnout uh, that you guys have gotten. And let me just bring up the fact again, hammer this home is that this was all set up for November and then about 10 days before um, WHO FCTC canceled the conference. And so this is the rescheduling of it, which means you guys had to reschedule too. And all of these experts and people that have shown up um, were rescheduled. Are you pleased with the level of turnout uh, for this rescheduled cop, good cop, bad cop? Yeah, I've said on a number of occasions today, um, 
on the streams that we've been doing that I'm extremely proud of the lineup that we've managed to put together for this event. We had a we had an excellent lineup in November, um, but as as is obviously going to happen, there were some people who weren't available in February, uh, and so we lost a few. But we replaced them with with equally uh, equally competent uh, speakers, and we've got a fantastic lineup. and um, And we've had some great chat off of off of the live streams as well. And there's lots of networking going on. We've got 30 consumers from Latin America who have come along and been watching. Uh, we've had plenty of media. We had. About 30 people from the media coming along and um, we've got a really good crowd here and uh, and we're really looking forward to the next next the rest of the week we've still got some experts on their way some of us have messaged say we're just getting on planes so there's going to be even more talent coming so we're finishing off the introductions of the of the uh, experts we've got tomorrow and then we're going to some some uh, panels and we're also doing some live streams which which lindsay my colleague is is going to organize and we've got a whole load of content coming out so anyone who's watching this keep an eye out for all our content and uh, i think you'll find something that you'll, you'll enjoy but it's been it's been great and like i said i, I can't emphasize enough how proud i am of the lineup that we've managed to put together for the event. Well, it's a super job. Uh, and David, you know, big thanks to you and everybody at TPA. Yeah, listen, I, uh, when this was canceled in November, you know, I'm stubborn, right? I'm stubborn and I hate the World Health Organization. You put those two things together, well, guess what? No matter when this conference was happening, we were going to be here and we were going to bring people to Panama City or wherever it was. Uh, because it just made me a lot matter when, when this happened in November. And let's keep in this in perspective, it was canceled about 10 days before it was supposed to start in November. We had contracts with hotels, we had everything set up and those just went up in flame. And, you know, and listen, I'm not gonna lie, it cost us some money to do this, but it was well worth it because this is something that we need to do every two years. This is not just a uh, COP 10 thing, this is gonna be COP 11. And until we change the policies of the World Health Organization, TPA will be here. Well, that's excellent. Well, then on that note, let me thank everybody for tuning in. We'll, we will be back here again tomorrow on Tuesday, February 6th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, and between now and then, you can find all this content. Uh, the TPA um, Twitter is what again? At taxpayers or protect taxpayers. At protect taxpayers. Yep. Great. Okay. We'll follow you guys on Twitter. Do the same. Look for us on Twitter. And thanks, everybody. Have a really good one.